Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Wolf Den. I'm Devin Olson, joined by LP Spalding. Oh, shout out to Dan Moore. We're still the second best Timberwolves podcast in the world. Dan Moore, one of these days, I'm going to DM him. I keep saying it every single episode, but one of these days, Dan Moore's going to be a guest on the show. That's something we're going to live by. We will not have another guest on the show until Dan Moore comes on the show. But Ben Simmons, the Timberwolves, dead, alive. It's, it's, it's not looking good. I mean, I'm going to still keep speaking it into existence because until that day comes where Ben Simmons is on another team, I could be on day like 780. Maybe he just works out everything with the Sixers, but I'm still going to pretend he has problems with the Sixers. We'll be on day 780 on Twitter. We'll keep speaking it to an existence, but at this point, we might as well uh, shift our focus to maybe reacquiring Ricky Rubio or the next best thing to Ben Simmons. What do you say, LP? Devin, I, uh, I don't have a time of death for this, this rumor, this speaking into existence, but uh, Ben Simmons is, is him coming to Minnesota is dead. The window of opportunity is gone. It's a, uh, it's actually been a pretty familiar thing for me to watch this all play out, you know, and I liken Ben Simmons to like a, a beautiful woman, right. You know, but she's got a crazy ass ex-boyfriend, which happens to be filling this scenario Beautiful women always go back to the crazy ass X man. They don't want the nice guy. All right, Minnesota I feel is like the nice guy. Rosas. I feel like there's a Gerson Rosas joke to be made, but I can't. I can't land on it. No, the problem is that we are the beta franchise of the NBA. We are not alpha by any stretch. We are the nice guy, nice guy friend zone of the NBA. And Ben Simmons has clearly told us that he is not interested in somebody that's good for him. Ben. If you came here, we'd treat you so good, baby. We would treat you so nice, but you don't want that. You want to be done dirty out in Philly with your crazy ass ex-boyfriend and Joel Embiid and all the chaos. You just want it for the drama. I feel like I've been led on, Dev. This has nothing to do with past relationships at all. It definitely hasn't happened to me before, Devin. Not at all. On the contrary, I feel like Ben Simmons maybe just doesn't want to burn $33 million and say no thanks to that much money. But this thing isn't dead. This thing isn't dead. He he showed up to practice today and he was he was kind of lollygagging. And if he if he lollygags during games, especially at home games, if he ever plays for the Sixers again, that fan base is gonna rip him a new one. Like I can't even imagine. I bet they don't even put him out there for home games because. I think he would actually get an okay ovation at the start. Fans would be like, okay, let's just, you know, we got a all-star back in the lineup. We didn't have to settle for some trade package. But like if if there's ever a point where effort comes into a question, yeah, he's 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 done. His mental will go out the window there. I mean, if Philly fans are willing to pelt Santa Claus with snowballs, I'm really not taking anything off the table at this point. Maybe they'll throw beer cans at him. I don't really know. It could get ugly down in Philly pretty quick, but the only reason I think I'm, I'm a little bit more negative is just that the, the window was perfect for us where he was causing all this trouble, you know, Joel Embiid and them are kind of feuding. And, you know, we said during the beginning of this, that Maury was willing to let it get, get gross, let it get uncomfortable and uh, Ben Simmons folded. So like I said, you're right. It's probably not completely dead, but I'm emotionally detaching myself from the Ben Simmons to Minnesota movement I will re-engage if the rumors start heating up again, but as of now, I'm just treating it like it's a like it's a lost love. Are you just are you just saying it's dead because we are finally approaching Timberwolves basketball and we don't have to make every single podcast about Ben Simmons anymore because that's all there is to talk about and 
the absolute dead of like August and September of the NBA offseason. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I enjoyed the dreaming, man. Now we're here. Now we get to the real good stuff. You know, we we start out with two home games, right? We start off against Houston and New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans without fat Zion. So you're hoping that uh, we can pull those two together. But I'm not saying it's a thing, but uh, I'm going to the first two home games. All mm-hmm. right. If we go 0-2, I'm going to ban myself from Target Center for the rest of the season. But, but. If we go 2-0, time to start that GoFundMe to get me to every game, guys. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. GoFundMe, LP to Target Center, 2021. If you can't beat, if you can't attend a game and beat the Houston Rockets and fat, fat, fatless Zion Williamson, the, how do I want to phrase that? The Pelicans, Sans, fat, Zion Williamson. And grammar's not my thing. Who gives a shit? But the <laughs> Pelicans without fat Zion Williamson. And actually, I think we got it. Zion Williamson again on next Monday. So three home games to start the, start the year. Houston and then two against the Pelicans. You got to be two and one after those. Like the Wolves have a perfect chance to explode out of the gates here. First seven yeah. of eight games at home. Some easier, easy-ish games you need to win at the beginning of the schedule. If you want to say momentum from last year or momentum from the preseason or the camaraderie or the hoo-ha, whatever you want to call it, you got to start fast. Because if you don't start fast, there's going to be some long days coming when you're in the dread of the winter in January and February and you're on the road and you're traveling and it's, it's going to get long really quick if you don't, you don't start fast out of the gates here. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with the start that we have and the way our players have looked. You know, it's kind of funny. I, NBA preseason I knew kind of existed, but I never really took much out of it. It didn't seem like people were taking it too seriously, but Man, Anthony Edwards' defense has raised the bar of my expectations for this team. And I don't know whether that's exactly fair or not at this point, but him being kind of a loose cannon, getting passing lanes, trying to make chaos happen defensive player, it really intrigues me when you look at the makeup of this team. You know, if you're going to be bad at defense already, having players who are just going to sit there and take chances and try to get open buckets, you know, I, I don't hate that idea. And again, I know it's just preseason, but you know, this start is a good way for all the good vibes to get going. Like you said, I remember the start of last year, we started off well, right before cat got hurt. And there was some good buzz with this team. We were playing well. We beat the jazz in Utah, which is a longstanding streak of something that we'll just continuously do automatically now because we have the jazz's number, but you know, if we're a franchise, that has been, so, like I said, beta for so many years, a hot start maybe isn't as important to your Los Angeles Lakers or those types of teams that have been through the grind. But, man, this team and this franchise will see the fans if we can start off hot with this start. Seven of eight at home, like you said. If we go six and two in that stretch, I think you're going to really start hearing it from this town there. The interest is going to build. Yeah, I agree. And going back to your Anthony Edwards defense thing for a second, he talked about it all off season. He talked about it at the end of last season. It was something he wanted to improve on. He wanted to get better at, he wanted to be more engaged. He kind of thought things maybe came together a little bit for him at the end of last year, just seeing the floor, seeing what guys were kind of trying to do and how they were trying to attack him. But then like, it's one thing to say it. And that's what everyone has said all summer. You know, you can say it all you want until you do it. It's like, it's the complete opposite with Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley's said he wants to be defensive player of the year, like the last two years. And then, you know, he just gets torched on the defensive end, but 
Ant actually came in and did it in the preseason. And now I still think the key is going to be doing it night in and night out. When it becomes, you know, we're 15 games into the year and all of a sudden kind of the excitement and the, the buildup and adrenaline isn't kind of rushing anymore from the start of the season and everything's new and the culture's changed and the vibes are, vibes are good then what are you going to be doing on defense? If all of a sudden it's game 20 and you know, you're sitting at 10 and 10, are you still going to be playing, playing that kind of hard defense every single night when maybe there isn't as much national attention on you or the fans aren't watching as close? What is your kind of shift throughout the season? Now, if he can keep up that defense all year, I think it completely changes the Wolves projections. Like I think the 34 and a half over under, uh, I think what Vegas has set it at, you, you can have a chance to shatter that if Anthony Edwards is playing defense. Because now all of a sudden you have five-man lineups that don't have two or three negative defensive players anymore. Now you have D'Angelo Russell. is It's just what he is. He can give effort, get into passing lanes, try to move his feet. It's just some dudes are not going to be good defenders no matter how hard they try. But he can still be an intelligent defender. And I think you'll see that out of D'Angelo. So – you have a bad but intelligent team defender in D-Lo. And then if Anthony Edwards can even be average to solid, that's another good defender. And then depending on kind of who that last guy in the starting rotation is, but we know how good Jane McDaniels is on defense. And we've kind of talked about how good Cat can be in a more switching or up kind of playing at the level on defense and just the ability to move his feet like he did some last at the end of last year. And then if it's Vando or a Kogi, I think those are the two leading candidates to start on opening night. You know, the Wolves can maybe go league average on defense. And with the offensive firepower they have, I think that's all you need as league average on defense. And the most promising part is not just the splash plays of Anthony Edwards, but it's been his positioning. If you talk about bad defensive players, like you talk about your bad defensive players, we've had a few here, right? The complaints about, you know, Malik Beasley and the complaints about D'Lo and Zach Levine when he was here you know good example as DeMar DeRozan's another you know porous horrible defender it's not necessarily that their on-ball defense is the problem for all of those guys it's positioning it's when they're not engaged with the ball they're never in the right spot and Anthony Edwards being this opportunistic is showing he's in the right spot he's where he needs to be you know, the chase down blocks or what everybody wants to talk about, but it's the simple plays on the defensive end where you can rotate in time to even put yourself in position or rotate to go tip a pass or just be disruptive. You know, the funny thing is I feel like when we drafted Andrew Wiggins, everybody talked about his length and his athleticism and how he projects to be a good defender, you know, and he never showed that in college. He just, he never had the instincts for it. And lo and behold, he's a dog shit defender and he always has been he's not going to be a good defender the funny thing is that we got that narrative and then anthony edwards somebody who has almost the exact same athletic profile as andrew wiggins long arms explosive jumpers six foot five apparently growing which okay that's pretty sweet it, we didn't hear any of that we just didn't we didn't want to deal with projecting but this is what it's supposed to look like when your player projects with a good athletic profile, somebody who's starting to understand his position on defense and then use that athleticism and length to be disruptive. So as much as I love all the splash plays, I'm, I'm shocked. Okay. I, maybe it's just having a full season with the coaching staff and not going through the COVID thing, but his improvement in just positioning alone and instincts 
from last year to this year is ridiculous. I was not expecting that at all. If we would have got the same ant as last year, I'd have been happy. And now he's showing unbelievable instincts again in preseason. If he can keep it up, that'd be great. But I'm very excited to see if Anthony Edwards can keep this up. And can we talk for a second or just at least touch on just the bullshit narrative that existed? And I mean, I read into it about before the draft last year, Anthony Edwards rather play football, doesn't have any motivation, doesn't want to, doesn't want to be great in the NBA. You know, he's just there for the money. He's going to do whatever. He's going to flame out in the league. Like, that narrative, it's he's just proving it day in and day out that it was complete bullshit. He talks every day about it, and he shows it. He shows you that he wants to improve, and he shows you that he puts in the work in order to improve. He, he comes in. He's in shape. You can see that he's clearly been working on his defense. He's focused. It's those kind of guys that are mentally checked out, like, you know, say Andrew Wiggins when his time was here. If you're mentally checked out every now and then, that's the kind of lapses you see. You're seeing guys make backdoor cuts on you. You're you're seeing not the hustle on the defensive rebounds or the hustle in the open floor. But Anthony Edwards has been the opposite since he's got here. He's been a hard worker. What he said, he's gone out and just done. And I mean, I think that's something that can't be take, taken for granted because he said he wants to be an all-star this year. And like, shit, who am I to doubt Anthony Edwards at this time? Because every time he says something, he's gone out and did it. Like the most outrageous statement I thought I heard from him last year at the end of the season was I want to be great at defense. I want to take the, take my game to the next level. And I know that that has to start on the defensive side of the ball. And I was like, yeah, that's just some BS that every NBA player says, you've heard it time and time again, but now what did he do? He came in in the pre and again, it's preseason. It does not matter. It could not matter less than it has, but you've seen it and you have to think it's going to translate into the regular season. So Anthony Edwards is just a, a dude to root for. And it, it's just nice to see that's that, like, that's the kind of guy he is after the perception around him before the draft. And it was really a media driven perception. And I, I want to give him all the credit in the world for changing that narrative, because you can look from the outside and you can blame media a little bit, but if you look at his high school, his AAU and his college career, he bounced through multiple AAU programs because, you know, frankly, he wanted to be coddled. He wanted to be the number one guy on teams and he didn't like playing with other players as good as him through high school. Same type of thing. He bounced around to a couple of different high schools and that made people nervous. He goes to Georgia where he's literally the only good player and he's chucking 25 a game. But with all that being said, now that he's reached this level, I give him all the credit in the world for just throwing that narrative away and saying, you know what? Maybe I was a little bit coddled and I may not be the best player here, but I'm going to work my butt off to prove everybody wrong. And, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with finding guys to get a chip on their shoulder. I mean, you've heard Michael Jordan talk about it, right? You know, sometimes anger and making up those narratives in your head is the best motivation. So I just want to, you know, before we jump into anything, I know he hasn't accomplished anything yet, but just seeing these signs of growth, you know, when we're trying to do this model, if we're not going to be able to trade for a Ben Simmons or, you need players to develop in the off season and put in the work, which is something that we've had trouble with in terms of whether it's the wrong personalities or the wrong coaching staff leading them, seeing this much growth from our rookies to where they're at now in the one year we've had with Finch in this, well, I guess not this exact front office, but you know, a front office that's trying to stay relatively the same. It's, it's very, very encouraging. And I'm excited 
for the start of the season come Wednesday to see if we can put it all together and thump a bad team like we should. Yeah. And we could, we could talk about Anthony Edwards all night, but let's move on to, we kind of just have a loose outline on what we're going to talk about. And we didn't even plan on talking about Anthony Edwards's defense and character for 15 minutes, but we just did. So we'll just take it as it goes. We're going to start with maybe just giving one or two players each overperforming players and underperforming players for this season, kind of how we see certain dudes seasons coming together. Then we're going to jump into a record prediction and where we see the Wolves finishing. And then maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, the entire NBA as a whole and NBA final stuff. But let's maybe start with, let's start on a high note. Let's start with overperforming players. So who do you think maybe will surprise people compared to where consensus has them this year? You know, I, it's hard for me to, I almost want to say nothing because last year, my big pounding the table moment was for Nas Reed, my man himself, Nas Reed, the goat backup center in franchise history. Uh, but Hey, don't do Gorgie like that. Don't do Gorgie like that. Hey, you know what? I am going to do Gorgie any way that I wish until he comes at me at Twitter. Shout out to Dane Moore. (laughs) Um, but I'm going to go with Jalen Noel. Now, between my friend group and my social media and this podcast, this is a particularly hard pill for me to swallow. You know, I've been, I've been a conductor on the bull bull train for about two and a half, three years now, but Jalen Noel has shown growth. He has good size. He has good instincts. He's a good scorer. I won't call him a shooter, but he has that scoring mentality that you like in players. And then that second unit, having more players who can create and score is invaluable. He's a cheap contract. And I think you're going to see the leap. I really, I think him and my underperforming player are going to be kind of in tandem, but I think Jalen Noel is going to find his way onto this roster, find himself useful. And when he's hot, man, it's hard to take him off the floor. We saw that in summer league where he was totally comfortable. Like, all right, I'm the best offensive player on this team and I'm going to act like, it. I'm going to shoot all the shots. I'm going to make buckets for myself. And for this franchise, you know, the more weapons we can have, the better, you know, a lot of second units in the NBA really struggle with this thing called scoring and the wolves are not going to struggle with that. You know, I think we have a lot of scoring talent in our second unit, maybe a lack of defensive talent, but Jalen Noel is going to be a big part of that this year. We might see him play some backup one. He'll probably end up playing more of the two slash three position, you know, and because maybe a Kogi plays some four. I just, I'm really high from what I've seen on him being able to score the ball consistently and be comfortable with his role, no matter what, whether that's a shooter or a distributor, whatever it takes. I think Jalen Noel is going to burst onto the scene this year. Yeah. I like Noel this year too. And I think there's some, there's some at least defensive effort and hustle there. You've seen it in the preseason a little bit. He understands that he needs to play defense to get on the court because the Wolves have scores that they can go to. But, like, if you can add a little bit of defensive intensity, like you're going to find yourself on the court. And, I mean, who knows, maybe even opening night. I, so I completely came to the realization this morning that Patrick Beverly is still suspended for opening night. Did you Have you, have you forget, completely forgotten about that or not? Oh, no. I'm aware. <laughs> I am very aware. That's why we're going to go 81-1, and one, right? That's right. That's right. But – yeah, no, I completely forgot about that. And I saw it on Twitter this morning. And I was like, oh, yeah. So Jalen Noel, you might actually probably not even might. You probably will see him on Wednesday night already. And I like that you classified him as a scorer and not a shooter, because 
I think it's overstated sometimes with how good of a shooter Jalen Noel is. Like he's an average shooter, in my opinion, from three point range. It's it's very he's got a pretty inconsistent jumper where it seems like it's either good or it's, you know, hit in front of the rim or it's it's sometimes not really close, or not really the rattle in and out kind of kind of shots. But I agree. He's got a absolutely for whatever reason, deadly drive to the rim, stop on a dime and shoot a little fadeaway in the paint. Like he made that shot over Kevin Durant, I think the other night in preseason. And it's something you've seen in summer league. He, I think either won a game or tied a game this, this summer on, on a shot like that too. But he's, he's a guy that just knows how to get his own shot. And Finch loves him. You can tell that Finch loves him. I mean, after some of his good games, it's always, we need to find ways to get this guy on the floor more. And I think he's going to be able to find ways to get him on the floor. And if it's not due to injury, just by nature of dudes getting hurt, Patrick Beverly's missed time in the past. D'Angelo Russell misses a bunch of time. Guys are going to get hurt and you're going to need players to step up. So I like Jalen Noel from that sense, but I went from a less traditional or maybe not as obvious of a one. And I'm just going to say cat. Like I think cat is in for just a massive season. Like, it's been a little concerning on he hasn't shot the ball necessarily all that well in preseason this year. And I'd be interested to ask a dudes because they changed the ball this year from Spalding to uh, Wilson. I'd be interested to ask if it's still the same ball with just a different name on it, or if it's actually a different ball, because that would be something, I mean, maybe just to like watch as time goes on. I think it could be an interesting study on just how dudes are shooting compared to their career averages or whatever, but Cat is going to be just a beast. Like there's dudes around him now that can take some of the scoring load off of him. And if you decide to double cat in the post, he's a very, very capable defense or capable passer out of the post where he's going to find dudes. And the dudes that he's going to find this year are going to be able to knock down shots. And if you don't double cat, well, best of luck to you down in the post and he's going to get a bucket. So I think everything I've seen out of cat, the mentality just the drive, the talk, how he's going to be playing up at the level on defense. I think the shot will be there. He's one of the best shooting big men in NBA history. So I don't think we have to worry too much about that, but Cat's going to have a monster year. I've always been of the opinion the last couple of years that he's a top 10, top 15 dude in the NBA when he's fully healthy and playing well. And I think it's just why it's absurd to me that, you know, like when Cat has dudes around him, he's going to be a very good player. And I think he can be that one B kind of guy on a very good championship level team. If not, if not a one, a type of guy, but what are your, what are your thoughts on cat this year before we go to underperforming players? He was on this track last year. I mean, literally before he got hurt, he was tracking to be that guy. He was carrying the load for us. And it's not, I'm not afraid to say that there was plenty of games early in the season where he was the best player on the court for both teams. I don't think this is crazy at all. You and Zach Lowe are running the same vibe right now. He's also very high on cat coming into this year. You know, the changing of the body is going to be doing a little bit more. By the way, fuck Bill Simmons. What the hell was that? (laughs) What the hell was that? Did you see that? Oh yeah. You, you sent it to me too. So you listened to it. He's like, fuck Bill Simmons. That's all I got to say. I don't even know. If you haven't listened to Bill Simmons on the Zach Lowe podcast, go to the final about five or 10 minutes or so. And Bill Simmons just rips Carl Anthony Towns a new one for absolutely zero reason. 
he doesn't even really give good data or backup or reasoning. He just rips him. He's like, nope, not going to work in Minnesota. And just that's kind of it. He's like, nope, it's not going to work. Cat's, cat's done there. It's not going to work. I... <laughs> I literally was enjoying the podcast, having a good time. Those last five minutes happened and I just had to sit in my car in silence for like five minutes and just take in what he just said. Because this like, you know, I was like the hello darkness, my old friend, like just literally playing in my head where I'm like, he's, he's probably not wrong, but I want to tell him that he's wrong. And it, you know, so this is, you know, I'm optimistic, but I just, Man, that was a weird bummer to get on. So, yes, if you guys want to listen to that and get bummed out like I was for five minutes, go ahead and do that. But, no, to, to Cat, I mean, he's doing the work this year. We talked about his offseason. He's focused more on, on his game than ever before. He doesn't have a crazy tragedy happening in the background, finally, for the first time in two years. I, I think we're going to see the whole skill set. I think Finch is going to build the offense around him. We have the right coach, finally. You know, it took a long time, but I, I trust in Finch. I trust that the front office is going to surround Cat with players that are going to compliment him. And I'm ready for the big year, man. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. I, I'm excited to see the version of Cat that is going to be able to carry a franchise into the playoffs without Jimmy Butler, you know, ruining everything. So I'm looking forward to that this year. Hopefully we can uh, make, make the magic happen and Cat can stay healthy. Yeah, and before we move on to underperforming players, I just want to put this on the record really quick. D'Angelo Russell was also going to be on this list for me. I think D'Angelo Russell is in for a absolutely insane year if he stays healthy. It's a big if because he hasn't stayed healthy the last couple of years. But D'Lo, I just, I just think he's in for a very big year. And I have a feeling we don't need to talk about it much right now because I have a feeling we're going to be talking about D'Angelo Russell on the next podcast when the Timberwolves get off to a good start. And you can just see how he's orchestrating the offense. Him and Ryan Saunders apparently butted heads. Like apparently D'Angelo Russell just did not respect Ryan Saunders, did not think he was worthy of being a head coach. And just, it kind of just led into him never really fully investing himself in the team during that time. So he clearly respects Chris Finch. And I just think D'Angelo Russell's in for a pretty big year. That might be the first thing I can honestly say me and D'Angelo Russell ever had in common uh, is our disrespect of Ryan Sanders. I won't even use his real last name. He doesn't even deserve it. So yeah, we're moving on to underperforming players. There'll be no Ryan Sanders disrespect on this podcast. All right. I'll, I'll let you start it again. LP. Who you got for underperforming players? It's not underperforming coaches or Ryan Saunders bashing, whatever you want to, however you're going to work Ryan Saunders into the podcast every single time. And just take a shit on Ryan Saunders. <laughs> I won't stand for it. You, until he proves me wrong, he'll draw my wrath. I'm just glad he didn't get the gopher head coaching job. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, my underperforming player this year is unfortunately Malik Beasley. And the reason for that is just kind of the outside factors through this whole thing. I said last year, and I meant it, that there were games that Malik Beasley was the best player on our team. He would come out, he was shooting lights out from three, but since that moment, he's had a half season hiatus bouncing around in his personal life, spending time in jail for a little bit and not really having a defined necessary role for this team. And what I mean by that is he's not going to be relied on to be the heavy scorer that he was before. You know, 
he was getting 15 to 18 shots a night during long stretches of those game of this year last year. And if as a person coming off the bench, I love the idea of Malik Beasley being our sixth man, but I don't think in my mind that I want Malik Beasley on the floor at the end of a game. And that's where I think he's going to be disappointing to fans. Last year, if you would have asked me who five players need to have on the floor, Malik Beasley's for sure on that list. And that's without a doubt. But I don't want our expectations to be at a point where he's going to be that guy again. I don't think there's a single world in which Chris Finch is going to want to run D'Lo, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards on the floor at the end of games. You know, we just praised Ant, but you're putting a lot of pressure on other players to pick up defensively. You know, you need to score at the end of games, but also getting stops and rebounding is important. So long story short, I think that you're going to see a slow start from Malik Beasley to the point where you might hear people getting a little bit concerned. And from there, you know, that's why I want to tie it for Jalen Noel. I really like what Jalen Noel has done. If you want to talk about roles in that second unit, it wouldn't shock me one bit if Jalen Noel starts eating into those Malik Beasley minutes, just because Noel is going to be able to score. And again, I'm trying not to be super negative, but I think it's more based on, I don't think Malik Beasley is going to play at the level that he did last year. Yeah, so my guy was actually Malik Beasley, too. I threw Jake Lehman in here because I don't think Jake Lehman's very good at basketball. And there's some people that have been asking me if Jake Lehman's going to, like, make an impact on the Wolves rotation this year. And I just keep saying no because, like, why would he? Like, I guess he's a cool 11th or 12th man that you might have to use in spurts. But I don't want Jake Lehman seeing the court. If Jake Lehman's seen the court for extended periods of time, our season is not going well. The fact that you actually gave a reason after saying no is more thought than Chris Finch has even put into it. So that's very, very kind of you to say that Jake Lehman is not going to do anything this year. Full stop. We don't even need to talk about it anymore. All right. I love it. But yeah, I was getting some, I was just getting some Jake Lehman vibes from people and I I don't like them. I don't like the Jake Lehman vibes. Just stop saying Jake Lehman's name, please. But back to Malik Beasley, who was my real answer. Um, I've kind of talked about it on other podcasts. I just think, like, I, I understand how Malik Beasley works in theory with this team. It's coming off the bench, and Finch has talked about having D'Lo and one of D'Lo, Ant, and Cat on the floor at, at the same – let me rephrase. Like I said before, English and grammar, not, not my strong suit. But one Wait, of <laughs> – I'm a math major, not an English major. <laughs> one of D'Lo, Ant, and Cat on the floor at all times. And that's how Malik Beasley works. Like he needs another creator out there with him. I think you've kind of seen it. Like he's not a traditional six man where even Noel's probably more of a give the ball to this guy and he can create his own shot and you feel pretty good about it. Where Malik Beasley's more of a needing other guys to create for him. He's kind of he's coming down off of screens a bunch, and that's fine. But if he's the only true threat of a scorer out there the defense is going to be able to stop coming off of a curl screen or whatever you want him curling off the top of the key. Like defenses will be able to kind of key in on that. If he's the only guy out there now, if he's out there with cat D or Ant, yeah, maybe Malik Beasley works a little bit better, but you're paying a lot of money for a guy that I just don't think you're going to, he's going to be on the floor a lot at the end of games. Kind of like you said, I don't think he's in that optimal lineup for you because it comes down to at the end of the game for me, it comes down to what do you need out of that fifth guy? Do you need a guy that 
good shooter, good catch and shoot guy, but a big liability on defense when you're trying and needing to get stops? Or do you already have enough dudes like D'Lo, Ant, Cat, Jade McDaniels that'll be on the court that can shoot and space the floor and score where you don't need another score on the floor and you can maybe go Vando for rebounding and defensive versatility or a Kogi for another on-ball kind of hawk slowing down some of the other team's best offensive weapons. And it's just, I don't see it coming together from Lee Beasley. And it doesn't help that he has looked out of shape in preseason. Like that doesn't help his case at all, but I, I hope it does. I, I like Malik Beasley. I mean, I guess I'm not the biggest Malik Beasley fan in the world, but I see how he works on this team. I just don't think it will work for the reasons. And we have to, and to your point, it's, it's basically if he's hot, we're going to roll with him. And if he's not, we're not going to play him. And as long as he's okay with that, me as a fan is definitely okay with that. It's nice to have players like that who are microwave scorers, but there's already been multiple reports where he's talking about how he's like, you know, he's, he's accepting the new role on the team. He's willing to come off the bench. And I, I worry that if he is just used as a microwave scorer, and if he's not on one night, he's going to start losing his mind a little bit because he's useful for a lot of teams, but the way we've built this, I don't know if he's the most useful piece for our team. And it may sound crazy because we need shooting desperately considering we have players like Vando and Akogi on our team, but I just, you know, I know this is totally unprovoked, but if you're talking about the highest projected person to be traded on our team, like the highest percentage player, it's Malik Beasley. I think whether the season's going well or the season's going poorly, I think Malik Beasley is easily our number one, you know, percentage player to be traded. It just, it it just, it's just going to be a fit thing. And we'll see if that's apparent early or if there's something that Finch has in store for him to really unlock him. I'm I'm really curious to see how that goes. Yeah. And I think like, I, absolutely still think like don't get me wrong Malik Beasley if he's on this team all year and he plays you know 70 75 games he's gonna win the Wolves some games and he's gonna have some games where he scores 25 30 points and plays 35 minutes like there's gonna be those nights and that's great to have but it's when you when you when you want a 15 million dollar six man you're looking for a consistent you know, 12 to 15 points off the bench every single night. And I think Malik Beasley is going to have nights where he's under five points. And that's not necessarily what a consistent six man does when, especially when you're not really giving anything on rebounding or the defensive side of the ball. So like, like you said, if Malik Beasley isn't hitting shots in the first half, it wouldn't shock me if he, you know, there's nights where he gets 12 minutes and someone else like Jalen Noel or whoever eats into some of those minutes on a every now and then basis. But anything else on Malik Beasley? No, man. Like I said, it's, it's uh, I'm excited for the season and we're not trying to get too negative here, but you know, I Malik Beasley, I think is going to be fine, but I, I just want us to, you know, the whole point I think we're both trying to make is we need to temper our expectations of Malik Beasley. He's not going to be the guy dropping 20 a game for us over a 10 game stretch as much as he's going to be just kind of a stop and go scorer for us when we need him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Let's move on to record prediction for the Wolves. So I'll start because I know I'm more optimistic than you. So people always want to hear the optimism first. At least I I hope they want to hear the optimism first. Again, we're, we're Minnesota fans though. So people are probably just used to the, 
negativity at this point, but my prediction is 40 and 42, ninth or 10th in the West, making that play in tournament where you, you got to fight to get the eighth seed. But I think that would overall be a pretty successful season for the Wolves. It's hitting the over by quite a bit. You're making the play in tournament. You're building towards something. You still have a young foundation. If you can make that play in tournament, that needs to be the goal this year. Even if you don't make the final eight or whatever that get into the actual playoffs, you have to at least make that play in tournament, play at least a meaningful game or two of basketball at the end of the season, and then build from there. Because if you don't do that, it's going to get ugly this this summer. And the ugly part is going to be Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is all in this year. So if we do what we're supposed to do, we'll be fine. If we don't, trouble ensues. Yeah, and I uh, I took more of the measured route, I would say. I still took the over on wins. You know, the 35 and a half over under does seem low for me. I think this roster is deeper than the past ones. And, you know, we've said it multiple seasons now. We've had long, long, long stretches without Cat and or D'Lo on the floor. If that happens again, obviously you're not going to win many games. But just looking at the Western Conference, all right, you know, you're looking at a group of teams that's Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, and the Lakers. And I'd put those five teams pretty comfortably ahead of the Timberwolves right now. Pretty comfortably. Then you have a second kind of group, uh, you know, Portland and Golden State maybe. But then there's this whole mash of teams that are just kind of okay. Like, they're fine. You know, this is not the same Western Conference that we've seen in the past where it's 10 deep of just loaded rosters and fighting for that 7-8 seed is going to be a monster. The Spurs are kind of directionless right now. Memphis might have a good year, but like the Clippers are literally down their best player and are relying on Paul George for an entire season to win them games. That's no sure thing. The Pelicans need Zion to lose 30 pounds before he can be relevant. The Kings have been the Kings. I know we're Timberwolves fans, but my God, the Kings are just in the same route we are. The Thunder are trying to lose. The Rockets are trying to lose. I I don't think it's crazy to say that we nip that 10 seed and just do that building like we're talking about. You know, I I think it's a real, real opportunity to seize even a higher spot. I think, you know, if you look at our roster compared to other rosters, I think our ceiling is higher than a lot of these teams. The Spurs, the Kings, the Pelicans. I just don't see a reason why we don't end up in the play-in game. And anything short of that play-in is just going to be woefully disappointing, which is good to have expectations, but crazy how one year can make such a difference in terms of our expectations for this team. Yeah. And I think, I think again, that's why the beginning of the season is so important because you're playing some of those teams that you need to beat, or you're going to be fighting for a play-in spot with like Houston right away. Like you said, they're, they're, they're trash. Like they're not going to be good this year. They're trying to lose. You need to beat them. You need, you need to stop playing down to opponents is level. And it, it sounds weird because Houston's sitting here saying the exact damn thing. They're saying, you got to beat the Timberwolves on opening night. They've been a sorry-ass franchise for how many years? Other teams say that about the Timberwolves, but it's just how it works. You have to beat the teams that you are in the same realm as or that are conceived or considered to be lower than you. You, you The Wolves have too often when they are favored in a game, just let teams hang around. And when you let teams hang around, things go wrong at the end of games. It's just how it works. You can't, 
like, why not come in super motivated and get out of there in three quarters, be up by 20 at the end of the third quarter, and then be done with it. You don't have to worry about it at the end of the game, or you're not sweating about if Kevin Porter Jr. gets hot or if Jalen Green gets hot at the end of the game. Don't even have to worry about that. You shouldn't, because those dudes can still get hot and get buckets. And so if you mess around or play with fire, something like that's going to burn you. And it's just the Wolves have for so long done that. And when you're going to be a good team, you need to beat those kind of teams, especially on your home court. So they need to get off to a good start. They're going to be competing. I think the teams, it's the Spurs, it's the Kings, it's the Pelicans. Those are the teams you're going to be fighting with for that, say, that 10th spot in the West. And the urgency needs to start now. I know we've brought that up multiple times. We only play the Pelicans four times this year. We could have a stranglehold on the season series right away. And that's the stuff that matters when you're trying to make the playoffs. You don't want to be, oh, we're tied 1-1 with the Pelicans in our first three games. That's okay. No, go up 2-0. And then you only need one more game to clinch the season series. And those tiebreakers, if you're trying to make the playoffs, are hugely important. It's stuff like that. There's no waiting anymore. You have a full roster. They're not going to have one. We need to start thumping teams early. You know, set the tone, show the league you're good, make them prove otherwise instead of just pissing around with teams like we've done in the past. So I'm right there with you. I want to get off to this fast start as much as anybody because it's going to be unbelievably necessary for us to have a good season. And one more thing before we move on to NBA Finals predictions. The one thing that... I don't think there's many things that would be able to piss me off about the Wolves' start of a season. But if we lose, say, Wednesday or Saturday night, if we get our, like, we'll just say Wednesday night. Let's just say Wednesday night as an example. If we lose to the Houston Rockets, and I hear in the post game that, oh, we thought we were too good, you know, they humbled us tonight, that's going to piss me off. Like, there's not many things that can piss me off, but that's going to piss me off. Because what the hell is there to humble yourselves about? You were a shitty team last year. There's no, we went three and one in the preseason and there's these good vibes and we think we're going to be, you know, the sixth seed in the West. There's no reason to get yourself humbled. You can't think you're better than you are. You have to be realistic with yourself and go in with that sense of urgency every night because you hear it too much from the Wolves after they win like two games and then they get beat and they're like, oh, we were humbled tonight. We were, we thought we were too good. And we thought we could just come in here and just win the game. You're the Minnesota flipping Timberwolves. You, you're not a team that can walk into a building and just show up and win a game. You have to put in that effort every single night. And I, that's been on my mind because for whatever reason, that's what I think is going to happen. It's just how I'm trained as a Minnesota sports fan. But let me tell you, I will, I will go off on Twitter if, if we get beat on Wednesday night and there's post game about how we got humbled tonight, I, I will not be happy about that. But, no, I, there's no time for that. So I I'm with you. Also, just as a side note, this schedule this year is so goofy. Yeah. There's so many back to backs and everything, I guess maybe everybody else was up on this, but it's going to be weird kind of playing it like a baseball series where you have home and aways that are back to back and some home and home, like it's going to be super strange. So we're going to, these, these, you know, these games are going to be important early and it's going to be a more different NBA season than we've had before. That's going to be weird. Yeah. I think they're doing that for some of the home and homes against the same team. They're just trying to get, get travel down, get teams, you know, out of the air so much, which is fine. But it's, it's one of those things where you play the Pelicans back to back 
no matter how much better you are, there's still like a solid chance that split. And it could come into play, you know, if we play like the Lakers back to back and we play them two separate times, we might go on two. But I feel like you have a lot better chance at beating a team when you play them back to back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got you to gotta read and a feel for it. And as long as you're not getting blown out, everybody has that little kernel in their head like we can beat these guys like <laughs> we can take them next time. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to just the entire NBA as a whole, just so we can get some things out there on some playoff or final finals predictions. I know you had maybe, maybe a hot take you wanted to share. My hot take just relates to my finals prediction. So what did, what did you have, or what did you want to say about, I think the Western conference playoffs? I am going to put it on record and it's mostly because they've hurt me so badly in the past. I've, I have touted the Clippers as a finals winning team many times on previous podcasts. This is the year, man. They missed the playoffs. I'm going the exact opposite way. I don't think this team is built for depth. I don't think this team has the high-end talent outside of Paul George. I don't trust Paul George by himself to carry a franchise. You need Kawhi. They built that team to be reliant on both those players and sorry that beating a sorry ass Utah jazz team in the playoffs doesn't really give me much encouragement to make them think that they're going to be fine this year. I think that the Clippers are in for a rude awakening. We'll just say that. So Clippers, not even maybe if you make the plan and lose, you didn't make the playoffs. That's my caveat. They might make the plan, but I don't think they're going to win a game in the play. And so I'm saying they're flat out, not in the top eight when that series starts Clippers out of the playoffs. That was going to be my big question is what, what, how does the play in factor into this? But you're just saying top eight, when the playoffs start, they're not in it. Nope. They're gone. They gone. I like it. I guess my, not really a hot take, but I think there's a chance Memphis Grizzlies finish top six in the West. I really like Memphis. Like Steven Adams is an awkward fit on some teams, but those screens that he's going to be setting for John Morant and some of their shooters, that dude is a, just a tank. There's no one that goes through that, man. I think John Morant is very good, but I really like Memphis. And it could come back to bite me because just the – you can't even really say inexperienced, though, anymore. They were the eight seed last year. They were the eight seed the year before. So I think it's, Mem- it's time for Memphis to make a jump. I think you could see a jump out of Memphis this year. So I'll just put that down as my hot take. Memphis finishes top six is pretty, pretty hot. We'll say, yeah, six or seven. I'll just add the caveat of seven. But I think Memphis finishes top six or seven. Moving on to NBA Finals. This is where my real hot take gets started. So so before before mine, I know you got a boring-ass NBA Finals. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, I'm sorry, but since we do have a week in West, I'm going to bet on LeBron. And then as a person who hates the Milwaukee Bucks more than anything else in the world, <laughs> I'm going to excuse away all of that and pick the Nets with the Nets as they're getting it done this year. And I think I'm going to go with the odds on favorites. It's not exciting. I do have teams, like you said, that I like, but you know, the Nets revenge tour sans Kyrie. It's going on. No more, you don't need a flat earther to win an NBA title. I agree. I'm saying Nets to win it all. But here's my here's my little 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 surprise. The Utah Jazz. Yes, oh. the Utah Jazz NBA Finals. I've I have just pushed it down to to a couple points. All of the top teams in the West 
have some sort of injury or, you know, just fit concern. There's some kind of concern that they have to figure out during the season. And like you said, with the Lakers, that's LeBron, AD, and Russ. How do they all fit together? And how do the pieces complement those guys? And it's going to take a full season, and they'll have a full season to figure it out. And if it comes together, yeah, they're going to be pretty damn good. But then there's other teams like the Nuggets have injury concerns. Like you said, the Clippers have injury concerns with Jamal Murray and then Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. There's just a lot of those teams at the top of the West just have some type of concern or a question mark. And I think the two teams that really don't are the Phoenix Suns and Utah Jazz. And I think Phoenix was Phoenix is going to be solid. Chris Paul's another year older. I think they had an outlier type season last year. I still think they'll be top four in the West, but I don't think they're making the NBA finals again. So Utah Jazz. I don't know how Rudy Gobert is going to play in the playoffs, whatever. They'll figure it out. Donovan Mitchell's going to be pretty damn good. I, I, I like Utah this year. I think Mike Conley's still got a little bit of little bit, little bit of kick in him yet. So I, I just I didn't want to take the Lakers, and maybe that's why I took the Jazz, but I firmly believe if I had to put money on the Western Conference Finals champion right now, I would, I would pick the Utah Jazz. I just think there's the least amount of questions about it. They better not run into our Minnesota Timberwolves, so they're going to be in a world of hurt. They don't want that. They don't want to see Cat. That, it's, it's a possibility. Jazz could be the one seed in the West, regular season juggernaut. Wolves maybe oh, sneak boy. in the eighth seed. Who knows? We're building the narrative already. Eight over one upset. We're, was yeah. that what we're calling? We're calling the Timberwolves in the second round of the playoffs? Well, I just called the Jazz to the finals, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, let's get to a couple Twitter questions before LP's depressing Wolves fact of the week. We got two questions this week, one from at Wenasota. How am I supposed to feel about servant culture? <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know what servant culture is, it's the term Sasha Gupta has been using to describe how he wants the front office and organization as a whole to be as like a group of servants and camaraderie and togetherness and we're gonna all sing kumbaya and everyone's gonna have their own voice in things kind of what uh gerson rosas preached but apparently just didn't do so i don't know i wouldn't wouldn't read too much into the words or phrases used to describe what they want a front office to look like but i am curious to see those those three things that define an organization or Whatever Mark Laurie's been talking about, like the three main mainstays of an organization, or I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but Mark Laurie says he's going to have this big presentation about he's going to be like three things that an organization should be like. I'm kind of kind of curious about those, but I don't care about what Sasha Gupta says his front office camaraderie or slogan is. And I'm, how dare you say that Gerson Rosas was not part of servant culture i think he was serving his mistress pretty well if you're getting what i'm getting at so uh, seems like he was uh doing a lot for her on uh, doing a lot of work for her yeah yeah uh, no comment no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um next question is from our good old pal at wiggins's ass how do we feel uh, about finch's comment about not having a long-term starting for good for motivation purposes for the guys to want to earn it more or brutal honesty as a message to Gupta for some help, or a little bit of both. What what say you? 
I think it's uh, concerning uh, considering we've been talking about it all off season, <laughs> but I guess, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to try to put a positive spin on it, I mean, we have a lot of flexibility. We're not pegged in at the four, you know, we can see Nas Reed, we could see a Kogi, we could see Vando. <laughs> Um, what, you're gonna laugh at one of the most depressing statements ever. If you want to look at it optimistically, we're not, we have options. We have options. <laughs> There's no one that we really, really like, but shit, we got a lot of options. I mean, you can play any way that you want. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. You know, I, I was kind of hoping that Vando would steal that spot secretly, you know, and by then I was kind of hoping to even get a boost, but Obviously, that hasn't happened. Doesn't look like Prince has that much interest in playing the four for us, except for maybe in spots. We don't want McDaniels playing the four. So the only hope is that Nas Reed with his new and improved body is now the power forward we've been dying for. And uh, we'll figure it out in the second unit, I guess. But I I hope that the Wolves figure this out. I, I do think that a move is inevitable. We do have a little bit of a surplus at the wing position right now. And trading for a, a four that can be serviceable night in night out is going to be a pretty high priority, but it shouldn't early in the season cripple us. But when you face the better teams, the bigger teams, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm not feeling good about it, I guess is the easy way of saying it. Yeah. I like, I like that though. Uh, let's go, go trade for some reliable four and we'll give them a slightly used version of Jake Lehman. That. That's our excess of wings. Let's give him a slightly used version of Jake Lehman. That's that's my optimal decision on this. But I think it's a little bit of both as well. I mean, like, hopefully someone steps up and earns it. That's kind of what I want to see. I think it can be a little dangerous kind of – maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think it can be a little dangerous rotating different starters every night. I think you kind of want to get a group that just knows every game when we're healthy – we're the five that are going to be out there at the start and we're likely the five that are going to be out there at the end. I think that's a good thing for teams just for a continuity purpose, but also like you said, it's not a bad thing to have a bunch of options. I'm really curious to see Nas reading cat together for extended time periods. And this was one other thing that Dane Moore talked a little bit about in his last podcast and just kind of tweeted about apparently Gerson Rosas was giving Ryan Saunders these like weird ultimatums or just what he had to do. He was kind of micromanaging Ryan Summers. Let's just put it that way. He was telling him Nas Reed and Cat were not allowed to see the floor together because they're trying to play fast and they're trying to play small. Quancho and Jarrett Culver needed to see minutes. Like they needed to play. They needed to play. They were Gerson's guys. So like they're Gerson's not around to do that anymore. And even if he was, mm-hmm. Chris Finch was his guy and he was going to let him do what he wanted. So I don't know. I think Finch has a lot of flexibility, which can be good, but it's also going to mean that there's going to be some experimenting and some experiments are not going to go well. So it's better if we can get this thing drilled, drilled down sooner rather than later, instead of fiddling with lineups still when we're at, you know, game 20 or something like that. But yeah, it is what it is at this point. I'm just used to not having a starting caliber four on this team. Like I said, I hope that Vando takes the opportunity to go and seize it. I mean, if you're talking about what's best for our rotations and what's best for this team, it's to keep Nas Reed and Akogi on the second unit together and to have Vando really take that starting spot 
with those good defensive numbers net the cat and be an obvious four for us. He doesn't have to close games, but you still need somebody who's going to log 20, 25 minutes of that spot in the game. So I want him to be a space eater and a minutes eater for us. I really hope that he makes that leap. Maybe, maybe he'll hit some corner threes if I, if I can trust a highlight video, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to be a, you're going to be let down if you're going to the game on Wednesday night and expecting to see some Vando corner threes. I don't think it's happening, but uh, all right, let's, let's hear it. LP. I'm closing my ears. I already, I already know what's coming. It's going to be depressing. It's going to be not fun. So let me, let me have it. LP's Wolves fact of the week. I was going to say you added the word depressing in there. It's not LP's depressing Wolves fact of the week. I mean, it's just a fact. These are, these are facts. It doesn't, the fact that they're depressing just means that we've (laughs) been a franchise for 32 years. So what I learned today brought me no great joy, but in fact, our old nemesis, Tim Duncan, one of the greatest players of all time, 19 year career with those San Antonio Spurs until last year. Tim Duncan had more career wins than the entire Timberwolves franchise. We had just passed him last year and we are now beating him by two. Hell yeah. Two games. And if you want any reference, Tim Duncan played for 19 seasons. The Timberwolves have been a franchise for 32 seasons. So it almost took half the amount of time for Tim Duncan to have more wins than the Timberwolves franchise. So you're just saying we're better than Tim Duncan. That's what I'm gathering from this. We're better than Tim Duncan. I think what I'm saying is nothing shocks me anymore when I look up these Wolves facts. I think think anything is possible to quote KG. I mean, truly, anything, anything is possible. And with that, the only thing left to say is the Wolves are going undefeated. 82-0. Screw all the predictions we just talked about. Patrick Beverly, Defensive Player of the Year. Carl Anthony Towns, MVP. D'Angelo Russell, uh, Most Improved Player. Malik Beasley, uh, Sixth Man of the Year. Jaden McDaniels, First Team All-Defense. Nas Reed, Runner-Up MVP. There's nothing else left to be said. The Wolves are undefeated when we sign off with a until we meet again, Ricky Rubio. I love you. Follow all the Twitters. You guys know where that stuff's at. Ricky Rubio, enjoy Cleveland. We enjoy loving. We enjoy seeing you ball out with our old pal, Kevin Love. You will never be forgotten. Ben Simmons, until we meet, it was fun talking about you, but I think it's probably start time we start talking about the Timberwolves. Anything else, LP? Before before we – before I'm, – I'm, re- I'm ready. Whatever way this season goes, I'm ready. I'm ready to be hurt and I'm ready to just be excited to watch Tim Rose basketball every night. To give you a quote from my dirty old coach side, you know, pressure is a privilege, man. And we got pressure this year. So let's embrace it. Let's take it on. Let's go wolves. I'm ready to be hurt again. I want to see it. I'm ready for the playoffs. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. All right, that was it for episode something, episode 15. We've done 15 episodes. That's not bad. Not at all. All right. Well, we kind of rambled at the end. That, that one's on me. But we basically just did Ricky Rubio dribbling in circles around the paint for the last three minutes. So <laughs> it's a fitting way to end this podcast.
All right. Peace.